Hi everyone, I'm Johnny, Varvel UK's Editor-in-Chief. Makes me sound quite prestigious, that actually. And I'm here to welcome you all to the Varvel UK Football Podcast. This podcast aims to bring you footballing insight, debate and humour from Britain's brightest young sports journalists. This week, I'm joined by my wonderfully wholesome co-host Callum Boyle, Varvel's amazing Premier League editor Harry Roy and my equally brilliant Deputy Editor-in-Chief Brad Cox. No, they didn't pay me to say that. Well, maybe a little bit. On the agenda today is a mammoth preview of the Premier League, covering all 20 teams ahead of the new season, as well as a little look at the action from the EFL and the European continent. So, without further ado, let's go straight into this. And, well... Obviously, as I, as I said in that introduction, we were going to focus and we are going to focus on the 20 Premier League teams in terms of a preview. We're going to look to cover all the teams in a certain amount of depth. And I'd like to also uh, add to that preface that uh, Luke Flanagan, Deputy EFL Editor, has been ever so kind as to provide his thoughts on the newly promoted team. So the Brentford, Norwich and Watford uh, clubs who've come to the Premier League, he has a expert insight on that really because he was partly covering them at length last season thought i'd throw in a mention to luke there alongside of course brad harry and callum but first big story this week Lionel messi leaving barcelona shocked the world shocked all of us where do you start with that brad well, I think you first got to start off with Lionel Messi's career as a whole. You've got to look at where Barcelona has taken him and all the great opportunities that club has given him as a player, as a person. And, uh, you know, it, it's not only helped himself, but his family. And Barcelona has become his family. I mean, he's been at the club since, what, he was about 13, maybe 13-ish. Um, and he, he's done some absolutely the terrific things in his career there's no doubt about that but the thing that is crazy to me is that Barcelona have let it get in get to this position in the first place and you know there's only so much they can do financially um this summer but my issue and I think many people's issues on the Messi issue on the Messi uh, topic is the fact that they didn't plan for this they didn't they didn't arrange anything to happen you know it, you know Messi didn't even know he was leaving other than like last week or two weeks ago there was talks about him being given a new contract he was ready to get, take a take a pay cut um, there's loads of things going Messi's way um, to, to, to finish out his career at Barcelona and I think you know I think it was pretty evident to see today on on, on TV that he he was gutted that he can't finish it at Barcelona. Mm, no, yeah, well, but I think it's, um, yeah, like you noted, there was a very, very tearful Lionel Messi talking to many members of the Barcelona squad, many, many uh, stakeholders uh, in and around the club. And it was, it, it, it was quite really sad to see that the situation had, had come about in this manner. And, I mean, Callum, when you look at it, we're going to talk probably a bit more after the Premier League preview about this, but financial mismanagement across Europe uh, is quite a prevalent thing and nowhere is financial mismanagement more apparent, I think, on a mainstream level than at FC Barcelona. Yeah, well, I think it's evident as to why they were pushing for the Super League and still continue to push for a Super League so much because that financial reward from that would save saved the whole messy drama and he'd still be wearing a Barcelona shirt and carrying on his legacy there. But um I think it's almost sort of like a taste of their own medicine because for years sort of we've known that Barcelona 
have had lots of money, sort of had financial troubles off the pitch. And I think like this is almost sort of like a, um, you know, you've had too many warnings and this is like now you're having your biggest prize taken away from you. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's going to cause so, so many issues. I mean, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. I should imagine that the fan base at Barcelona is probably as tense as ever now. You know, they've just lost the best player in the world for nothing. And then um, whilst it's sad on a personal basis for Messi and sort of the core Barcelona fan base, I think it is just sort of, you know, it now proves that even no matter how big a stature of a club you are, you know, you can't get away with these things. And like Brad alluded to, you would have thought they would have had a plan in place to keep him there at the end of the day. He's their most important asset. The amount of, it's not just what he does on the pitch, it's the amount of money he brings into the club. You know, I know they're quite a recognisable face anyway, but, you know, it, there's so many things that Messi brings to Barcelona not just the skills on the pitch and it's going to cause detrimental effects I think and you know I think it's the atmosphere is as toxic enough as it is but I think it can only it's not going to be a good sign for Barcelona at all No no I mean again more doom more gloom really that's the other way you can look at it particularly from Barcelona's point of view but even from Messi's own point of view but I suppose Harry from uh, the other side of it you know this is a phenomenal player who has delivered remarkable results over a decade for Barcelona. And this is, I suppose, his opportunity to, to deliver that on another platform, on another stage, probably Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, from the other side of it, is there any positivity? I mean, not from Barcelona, of course, but from Messi personally, you might not feel like it now, but again, an opportunity to go to another country to become, a, I suppose, a, a brief legend at another club. Well, we, we finally get to see... Lionel Messi playing in another country. And I think that's, that's an exciting prospect. A lot of fans want to see that. I've, I've asked this for years. Of, can Messi do it in another league? Can he do it in another country? And I'm sure the answer will be yes. We get to see him play alongside Neymar once again. We get to see him play with Kylian Mbappe. They've got Genie Wijnaldum there. PSG are forming an incredible side. And it's probably, you have to say, they're the favourites to win the Champions League now. So he's going to get that opportunity once again to, to win a Champions League trophy, which... I don't think he would have got at Barcelona. Uh, would you? Would you guys agree? I don't think it would have. I don't think he would get near with Barcelona this season. So, it, it's an exciting prospect, and he gets to prove any doubt is wrong. That does he, is does he get to prove player. anyone, Harry? I don't really think he gets to prove anyone moving to PSG. I think he would be able to prove prove it if he was moving to Lille or Borussia Dortmund. Um, he's joining superstars like Kylian Mbappe and Neymar, who, you know, not too long ago were in the Champions League final. Um, and I don't think it would be an achievement at all to win the Champions League final with PSG, with Neymar, Mbappe and Messi. That's, that's not an achievement at all for him. You know, he's already done it with Xavi, Iniesta. Um, you know, he's, he's taken a team um, to a Champions League final against uh, Juventus and, and with Neymar and Suarez. And, you know, some will argue that that, that might be a similar kind of trio but there's there's no comparison there's, it's definitely not an achievement to win a champions league with the ps with the squad psg are building i think i think it's a ridiculous claim i actually i'll, I'll jump between you both and say uh, i could sort of understand both sides however this is a psg team that's also not won the champions league during this period of time they're dying to win the champions league and many people thought they should have won it already by this point because, hey, they spent nearly £400 million on two wingers. You know, that's quite a lot of money uh, by anyone's uh, stretch of the imagination. And if Messi is the person that comes in to turn that tide, 
to give them that opportunity to win that first Champions League, then I think that would be some achievement. Maybe not. You might not say it's in the players' top one, top two, or top three, but I think PSG will recognise that as a wonderful achievement. And they'll credit, I think, some of that, quite a lot of that, to the arrival of one of the best players of all time. What I was alluding to really was that if PSG have not won a Champions League, they've Nasser Al Khalifi, the, the the guy who runs them, is you know, is, is essentially run by the state of Qatar. They've thrown that much money to try and win the Champions League. Of course, it's going to be an achievement. Yes, the move is is underwhelming. I mean, PSG are probably the only side in the world that can financially afford them. I would say, unless maybe Man City, but like Pep Guardiola said, they spent their money on Jack Grealish. So Messi, unfortunately, wasn't going to go anywhere anywhere else other than PSG. But who wouldn't want to see Lionel Messi? lift another Champions League before he retires. Yeah, I think um, just before we delve into this too much and end up making it a whole topic on Messi, I think, uh, Callum, you've got one last thing to say, I suppose, on the topic. Yeah, it's a bit like, I think like Harry sort sort of alluded to it. I I think like it was the most obvious of the moves, wasn't it? But at the same time, it does feel a bit underwhelming. It's sort of like, I know there probably realistically wasn't many people that could financially afford him, but even if he did something like, I don't know, go back to his home country or something, Argentina, something like that, it would have been nice to see him like maybe take a different one, um, different sort of approach, I think, with PSG. You know, I think one of the interesting things that we've not really um, talked about is that he's going to be playing with Ramos, who, you know, for years they've, um, you know, for years they've um, had that sort of rivalry against each other, you know, Real Madrid, El Clasico. So it's going to be really interesting if it, I mean, it does look like it's going to go through. It'll be really interesting to see if they, um, how those two work together as a unit on the pitch. I'm sure they'll be fine because they're both professionals and elite at what they do, but it'll be interesting to see that clash of personalities should they both play together. It absolutely will be. And I think, again, with there could be a whole two hours on this really, but, it, but in actual fact, you know, we do have, a ridiculous amount to cover. Actually, this is the only, the only story of this magnitude would shove itself in front of the main topic of discussion, really, which is the fact that the Premier League is starting next week. There is obviously a lot of anticipation for the return of fans, the return of apparent normality, and you know a season where everyone can get into the into the stadiums. And something we're all, I'm sure, very much looking forward to. And I think no better way really to, to go about it than to look and scrutinise a little bit in. A sort of two-minute rough, rough sort of package for all of our one uh, twenty teams as to where we think or how we think they will do this year. Um, many of you, of course, Brad is deputy editor and Man United editor has a particularly wonderful understanding of Manchester clubs, but also some of the clubs at the top end. Harry is a Premier, the Premier League editor, but also a Newcastle fan, so has a particular interest of teams towards the bottom end. I don't mean that in a patronising way, because I think myself uh, being also a Burnley follower and Burnley writer, I could also relate to that. And of course, Callum uh, has uh, had a bit of a renaissance at the top of the table with Leicester in recent years. So, Brad, Arsenal, where do we think they're going to do? How, how are they going to do this year? From my point of view, I see this summer as being one of a bit of, you know, quite a positive one. We know we know that young players like Emil Smith Rowe and Kieran Tierney are, you know, thriving from, from last season. We know Mikel Arteta is more aware of the players he can trust now after a bit of turbulence last year, and they've added some good players in the transfer market. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. They have added some some good players indeed. Um, 
you know, I think it would be, I think, I think there was one transfer that is particularly, uh, you know, he heated up a little bit in this past week that in the past few days, that I think would be monumental for Arsenal season. And that is uh, Martinez from Inter Milan. I think if they were to get him, um, that would that would completely turn their season on it on its head already. Um, and you know it's not even started, but it would completely change the way they approach the Premier League season. Uh, I think they would start to look a little bit dangerous too. Uh, and you know, and many 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 times in the past few seasons, Arsenal have been criticised for the way they defend. And let's be real, they have had some shambolic defensive displays. Um, but getting getting Ben White in there is one huge step to to fixing their issues at the back. So yeah, like you said, they have they have done some done some good business in this transfer market already. But I do think they are one or two signings away from from competing for top four again. I I mean I don't I don't have them in my top four personally. No. I don't, don't think they're anywhere close to that yet. Uh, but like you said as well, Arteta, I think um, I think it's a big season for himself. Um, very very poor last year, you know, mm. almost mid table finish really, uh, and and to to miss out on Europa League and Champions League is ginormous for the club financially, especially with the COVID impact. You know that that should be your number one priority. Mm. Yeah, top six though. Um, are Arsenal in my top six? Yeah. They, they just make my top six. Actually, they do. Yeah. They they finish sixth for me. So, and that would be a marked improvement on last season. It would be, I think. I think. I think if they were to finish six, it would. They would. They would see themselves. I uh, see themselves progressing, and that you know, following and covering Manchester United over the past two years, Oligan Solskjaer has used the word progressing many, many times, uh, and progress has been a key factor for his team to strive forward. And I think that's similar to Mikel Arteta. I think he's got to start showing the Arsenal fans some progress. Fantastic. Okay. Aston Villa, Callum, where do we see them getting on? Because in an interesting way, they've lost the best player, but at the same time, they've spent an absolute fortune. Well, like you said, it's really interesting that Aston Villa, I think, inside the camp from fans, there's a a feeling of betrayal at the minute. Personally, don't really understand that because I think Jack Grealish had every right to move on. I think he gave everything and more to the club. And I think they'll pay off better for it in the long run. They've bought in four really good Signings. I mean, Buendia is a unbelievable player. He was far too good for the championship last year. Uh, really exciting player who I think has that same sort of dynamic about Greedish. And then, of course, Leon Bailey coming in. Really exciting winger. Always scores goals, gets assists. And uh, then the most under-the-radar under signing of all, Danny Ings, which just sort of popped up out of nowhere. Guaranteed goals with Ollie Watkins as well. I think as a four it will benefit Aston Villa in the long run because obviously they had Jack Grealish, but everyone knew it was going to go to Jack Grealish. Those lot there, there's endless possibilities. It's sort of almost a who who's going to cause problems for us today. And then even one that's sort of gone, um, people have forgot about, but is bringing Ashley Young back. I think having that vital bit of experience, that Grealish was a leader, but Ashley Young's a leader. He's loved by the Villa faithful. They've got Tyron Mings is going to step up and be captain. I think, you know, in terms of leadership, there's not many people better than Tyrone Mings. He, you know, is a commanding figure. They've got talent all over the squad, Aston Villa. They've got a really nice spine, you know, concert. They've got McGinn in the middle of the park. I think it, whilst it's still getting used to, maybe it'll take a couple of weeks mm. of adjusting, used to not having Grealish there. I think it's only going to benefit Aston Villa in the long run for the reasons I said. And I think they could cause a few surprises this season. 
don't think they're going to be sort of pushing top six, but I definitely think they could, you know, break into maybe the top eight. And I definitely think they're not the worst shout for maybe on the cups this season. Mm. My issue really, I think, and, and, and it, I think that was a really good summary. The only thing I would say, and it's sort of a contemplative thought, which I just want to linger there, is that when Grealish didn't play last season, I was shocked at how ordinary and poor Aston Villa looked with the Dean Smith setup. I actually feel like Dean Smith's setup was Jack Grealish and Jack Grealish alone. And they had a very good squad last year. John McGinn, Douglas Louise, Ross Barkley was there. Merton Traore, Ollie Watkins, of course. But without Grealish in that team, there was a real question mark. Whenever I watched them on the field, they looked very, very ordinary. So it will be really interesting to see what he could do. Now he's got a big cash extravaganza. Um, had a big cash extravaganza at his disposal. So, yes. Very good. Of course, Brentford will be covered by wonderful Luke Flanagan. And you'll hear that right now. Uh, first ever season in the Premier League. Obviously, closely missed out on promotion last se- or the season before. And finally went up through the playoffs under Thomas Frank. Um, they've got a, a tough fixture start. So uh, they play Arsenal at home. Uh, the Brentford Community Stadium. So I think, particularly with Brentford, they play you know, very attacking, exciting football. They're not one to just lump it. They, they've got some very exciting players um, and some pace in behind. So I think actually playing a team like Arsenal will will suggest that Arsenal will dictate a lot of the ball, um, even if it is at Brentford Stadium. Arsenal will control play, so it'll be there'll be a side that will be very dangerous on the counter attack. I think. Um, so it'd be, be interesting to see how Thomas Frank copes in his, his first first ever season in top flight. Uh, after Arsenal at home, they go to Crystal Palace away the following Saturday and then following Saturday after that, they're also away at Aston Villa. So they, they're playing very established Premier League sides for the first three fixtures. So it'd be very interesting to see how Brentford get on. Um, they, they're trying to sign... Um, Congo winger Yolan uh, Wissa uh, from Lorient currently. Um, I understand it's close to signing there, um, but there isn't an awful lot that's actually um, co- actually confirmed as yet. Um, and basically, the, it will be um, an achievement, I think, in many many of the fans' eyes if they are to to try and stay in that league. They, they play excellent football, but Sometimes sides like that actually get found out when they try and take the game to sides like Manchester City or Arsenal or sides that are good on the ball. Um, Leeds showed they could do it last year, um, getting absolutely whacked in some games and then absolutely battering teams in others. So um, Brentford could be another Leeds. They certainly play in a similar style, so we'll see uh, how that goes with that. Big thanks to Luke. Harry, Brighton. What are you thinking for the head of this season? Well, they were the XG specialists last season, weren't they? And they were mm. missing that goal scorer that they were crying out for. And they still haven't got that. That's mm. the problem I'm seeing with Brighton. I think they'll stay up. They've got enough in that squad to stay in the league this season. Do, do you think, Johnny, think they'll think they'll, they'll go down? It seems you were huh? thinking otherwise. There, no, or? I think they'll do really well, actually, this season. I, I actually, I think... A lot of the things with Graham Potter really is the system itself that he plays is such a an intricate and detailed system that the more you work on it and the more you get used to it, the better you get at it. And, it, and 
we saw at times last year how they absolutely did a number on many oppositions. And like you say, I think they were top seven or top six on XG. And they haven't necessarily rectified that problem with a striker, as you say. But even though they've lost certain individuals like Ben White, they are further down the line of the Graham Potter system. And surely, I would think, better equipped to have a push towards maybe the top half. I still have them bottom five, and that might come across as controversial, but I just think there's such a golfing class in the top 10 of this division now. Villa, like Callum said, they've got a fantastic squad now. They've brought in three or four really, really good players. Everton, you can never rule them out. Leeds were fantastic last season. I think Bielsa, another year with them in the Premier League, they're only going to come on stronger than they were. And then you've still got the likes of Spurs and Arsenal, who, of course, are going to be top six, top seven. So I think it's going to be difficult for Brighton to break into the top half, especially without a without a proper goal scorer, i.e. a Callum Wilson, even a Chris Wood, Johnny, someone like mm. that who's going to get you 10 to 15 goals a season. They don't have 25. that. But 20, mm, 30 maybe, if yeah, he's fully fit all Chris season. Chris Wood, fantastic. Top, 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 top striker. I mean, no, they'll, they'll be okay, Brighton, but... Mm. It'll be very similar to last season. It'll be mm-hmm. it'll be a relatively lower mid-table finish. Yeah. Well, I'm actually interested. I'm going to stick with you, Harry, on this because again, it's at the it's at that end of the table. I'm going to let you look at my team, Burnley, and and, and your thoughts on those really, and be nice, uh, obviously, because I also do uh, control the edit. But um, <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Uh, where do you? I'm not. I'm not optimistic, by the way, about this season at, at present. And I just like to hear your thoughts, being a, looking from the outside, looking in on how you see the Burnley doing this season. Well, I don't think they'll go down, and it's pretty clear why. Sean Dyche is the manager. Mm-hmm. You have a striker in front that's going to get you ten to fifteen goals a season in Chris Wood. Mm-hmm. Solid defensively with Tarkowski. You've just brought in another centre half as well. Nathan Collins. Nick Pope in between the sticks. Dwight McNeil is a, what probably one of the most underrated players in the division. So for Burnley, it'll it'll not be the dizzy heights of 12th or 11th. It will be, I think, 16th, 17th. But the objective is to stay up. And I mm. think that's what they'll do and, and continue to do that for as long as Dyche is at the club. One concern many Burnley fans have raised is the lack of depth, particularly wide areas at present. Only Dwight McNeil is, a, is, is the only winger really many look at as a someone who can play you know, 38 games a season. Joang Berg Goodmanson's still on the books, but often injured on the sidelines. And there's been a suggestion that Aaron Lennon might come back on a free transfer at the moment, um, which shows tells you all you need to know really about the, strug- the struggle to recruit in certain areas and get players of that quality in. Is there a danger that you can o- almost overcompensate the Sean Dyche factor? Because eventually, look at what happened with Bournemouth and Eddie Howe. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be in the division forever just because you've got a talismanic manager at the helm. That's the thing, but you've still got the core of your squad there. It's the same thing with my team, Newcastle. They've essentially had the same squad for the last five years, but you know you will get a result out of them. You know they'll grind it out. And I just just can't see Burnley getting relegated. Mm. I know a lot of people, they're an easy tip for relegation every season, Mm. but year after year, they get those victories. They go to those away grounds, the likes of Southampton, grind out results where some teams fault there, like we seen with Fulham last season. Mm. Everybody was raving at how brilliant Fulham were just because they passed the ball around well. It, does, it doesn't mean anything. The, yeah. the Dice, the, the Bruce, the, the system isn't, isn't fashionable by any stretch of the imagination, but mm. it's effective. It wins your football matches and keeps you in the Premier League. I think that was the closest thing I've heard to a compliment for Steve Bruce there, Harry, actually. That's, you know. that's the most you'll ever get out of me. <laughs> right, okay, <then> fair <laughs> enough. 
Uh, from relegation to certainly the other end of the table, Brad, I don't think there's any danger of Chelsea going down this season. No, there certainly isn't any <laughs> danger of Chelsea going down. I mean, I mean, you know, the closest they would probably have come down, come down that table was either with Jose Mourinho in his final season or because of the Super League punishments that never seemed to take place. <laughs> um, but yeah, Chelsea, I, I have them very high up in the Premier League table this season, especially with the introduction of Romelu Lukaku. It seems he's going to sign this week. Ninety-eight million pounds. I Ooh. mean, I think I think he becomes the most expensive player of all time, with uh, all transfers included, mm. um, which is a ridiculous stat, really. I mean, I mean, Romelu Lukaku. You know, this is a player that Chelsea once had on their books, and uh, let let him go on a very good deal to Everton. Um, mm. So you know, and then he made his way to United, and then got shipped out to Italy, where he's kind of revived his career a little bit. Um, but yeah, Chelsea, they'll they'll go from strength to strength under Thomas Tuchel. They were absolutely incredible in their Champions League run. You know, nothing spectacular. They just got the job done mm. uh, and that ended up with them lifting the trophy. So, you know, Thomas Tuchel, I will, I believe we'll be looking for the Premier League title this season. Um, and if, if, if not the Premier League title, at least challenging um, and, and winning another piece of silverware. I think Chelsea in a really good spot this summer. You've got City to win the league there, do you not, Brad? I do have City to win the league, mm. yes. Yeah, it's a tough one though, isn't it? I, it, I feel like the argument, just to summarise this really, Chelsea are definitely underdogs in that too because you, we expect Manchester City to to add Harry Kane. I think most of us are expecting that at some point, which means they would have in probably Harry Kane and Jack Green, um, sorry, Harry Kane and Kevin De Bruyne, the two best arguably players in the Premier League at their disposal uh, you know, mid best midfielder, best attacker. So that's very difficult to live with. But as you say, that Lukaku transfer would be a game changer because he is an elite forward. And to complement what they had last year, they had a phenomenally round system, spearheaded by Thomas Tuchel, anchoring all of these little intricacies. But one weakness that they did have was that in that final third, they struggled to finish chances. And Lukaku is, you know, a very clinical forward and, and something that someone who could, you know, help them turn that tide. Anyway. On to Crystal Palace. Now, this is, again, quite opposite side of the table. And arguably, there's a sense of optimism now with Crystal Palace because, Callum, uh, they are, you know, a, a club that has been in for many years under Roy Hodgson, just doing the, the bare minimum. Maybe that's a bit disrespectful to Roy Hodgson. They were, they were sort of slumming it at the bottom of the table, but they were doing enough to survive. No one thought they'd really go down. Now the tide has changed. Patrick Vieira is in. There's a sense of progressive football coming into play. Yeah, I mean, I think Crystal Palace have fully swayed my opinion. I had them as dead certs to go down, to be honest, before they started doing some business. Um, but I think now we can see exactly why Roy stayed for as long as they did. I think they may have secretly planned for this all along to just sort of consolidate, build some funds up. Because, you know, they're not, they haven't got the biggest of riches amongst them. But um, And I think they've done some really smart business this summer. I mean... Uh, the young lad from Chelsea, I don't want to butcher his name. He got rave reviews for his loan at Swansea. Um, you know, Michael Elise dazzled in the championship. He's still 19. They got him for 8 million, which I think is an absolute steal in the market of today. He's a really, really talented footballer. Um, and then Joachim Anderson, who, who shined in quite a poor Fulham side. So that's three very solid signings. And then to add that on top of 
Eze, I know he's out for a while. Zaha as well. Yes, he wants to move. He always wants to leave, but he's still going to be there because no one will pay what they want because, quite frankly, he's not really worth what they want. Mm. But I I think it's going to take a bit of time. I think the last time Palace tried to make a bit of a radical change in style was under the bore and it failed quite drastically. So I think they've got to give it a bit more patience and a bit more time. And, you know, Vieira, I don't know, came managerial career. He's not lit the world up, but... I think it's one of these things where you can see that Palace are having a bit of a change in philosophy. You know, they got rid of a lot of their older players who are out of contract. Um, you know, and these three signings, they represent sort of a new core look. They want probably more slick style of football. It's a bit more pleasing on the eye. You know, young talent, southeast London talent as well in Elise and uh, the lad from Chelsea. So they, they want to build sort of, you know, and use the academy, which has always brought through good talent at Crystal Palace. So I think originally I had him as dead sets to go down. I think they'll just have an unspectacular season like they do most years and sort of float around that mid-table spot. But I, I think Palace are one of those sides that, you know, they, they could be quite exciting to watch this season. Fantastic. Well, that, there's a bit of optimism in the air there and that's what we like to hear. Optimism in the air at Crystal Palace. Optimism not in the air at Goodison Park. Uh, Harry, I'll come to you here because you're someone who, um, you know, follows a football club that don't have necessarily the the most um, loving relationship with their with their manager. Uh, so, what do you make of the? That's putting it mildly. What do they? What do you make personally of the Rafa Benitez situation at Everton? Is it going to be a success, or could the negativity just crush them? I think the negativity may just crush them. What you'll get with Rafa Benitez is a very solid structure. He is not going to deliver Everton Football Club attacking expansive football, which is, I think, is what the fans will want. They want to push towards Europe. Look at the transfer business this summer, who they brought in, Andros Townsend, Damari Gray. It's not overly exciting. You would have thought that, obviously, Benitez was such a controversial appointment. They would have went and brought in 30, 40 million pounds, a player of some stature to try and bring the fans back. They've not, they've not done that. I still think, I, I think, you know, I'm the biggest Rafa Benitez fan. Loved him here at Newcastle. I think you'll do a good job with him, but Everton fans have to be patient with him. And he's already, he's already on the back foot. He's fighting a losing battle, just like Bruce was here at Newcastle. It's, it's the same problem. Benitez and Bruce, the, the comparisons are the same. You know, they've, mm. they've similarly done the same job and Rafa's going to get a, he's going to get a tough time, unfortunately, but Everton fans are going to have to stick with him. Mid-table. I, think he's the best I think he's the best manager they could have got. Mid-table obscurity, maybe? Or... I've got them ninth. I ah. just think that the teams above them are too good. i tell you what is looking good, though, and it has been looking good for some time, Brad, is Marcelo Bielsa's leads. I mean, they are just a phenomenal team to watch, aren't they? Because not only do they play wonderful football, which is what we want to see you know, what many teams want to see in terms of playing out from the back, pressing high and scoring, you know, playing in a, in a beautiful manner, reminiscent to the likes of uh, some of the best teams in the world. But they actually, particularly in the last season, showed wonderful game management to put, propel themselves up the league. And it makes me think this season, there could be a, a really good opportunity for them to push for a European spot. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a possibility. Europe, um I think one of the key things they've also managed to do in the in the break from the from the Premier League season is keep hold of their star players. You know, there was definitely some large interest in Rafinha. 
um but looks like he'll be staying at ellen road um you know no one's really been linked with Bam- bamford but after that incredible season really in the premier league last year for, for a man that has been doubted by many many opposition fans um you know he did really really well and i'm surprised that there wasn't any actual real interest in some from some big teams potentially picking him up you know maybe potentially the likes of arsenal uh if uh, if martinez is not coming to emirates i think i think he would be a suitable replacement um in, in any side really but yeah like you said Bielsa knows what he's doing. He knows these players really, really well. Um, I think I think they've got to get Rodrigo firing. Uh, I think he was a uh, he was kind of you know expected to do a lot better last season. You know, transfer record fee uh, for the club and didn't really live up to the standards. But the, maybe that was just because Bamford was so good. You don't really know. Uh, but yeah, I think I think Leeds will do very well. I'm, I'm I think they could get Europe, but I just think the stronger teams at the minute. But you imagine Leeds will probably be a top half contender at the at the very least. Yes, I have them. I have them ninth. Yeah. Um, with with yeah with others above. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Worth noting as well when we say where we have these one to twenty, there will be some graphics going up across the week, so you can all excitedly look to see where your teams are. And if one of the people has picked your team to be in the eighteen to twenty zone, then of course you're expecting, as Callum and, and Harry and and Brad understand, a lot of abuse as I have received this before uh, by picking teams to go down. Three teams do have to go down. I must say that uh, as, as a preface, I cannot put everyone above the eighteenth zone, and neither can. My wonderful people who I'm just who I'm discussing this with right now. So yeah, be kind. Um anyway, yeah, half. Well, Leicester, who to go to here? But Callum, you went to the community shield final this weekend. And it was a wonderful win for your team. And you've had a very wonderful transfer window. So the optimism again, as ever, is high. But Fafana's injury has let a bit of that optimism fall away slightly, I suppose. Yeah, optimism is sky high, probably as high as I've seen it in many years. I mean, yesterday, I think, really set the tone. People call it a glorified friendly, but it's a trophy. You win a trophy, you play to win, you're at Wembley. Mm. First game of the season. I think they set the tone. I know Man City had a slightly weakened side, but that side on paper was still stronger than Leicester's, I think. I think Leicester were really good yesterday. Um, all three of the new signings made a new impact. Obviously, you alluded to Fafana. They were in the market for a centre-back anyway. That's now further strengthened. You know, Tarkovsky's name has been linked with Leicester for the last couple of years. Can't see that one happening because Burnley won't budge on the asking price, which is completely fair enough. But personally... I think Tarkovsky, if he was choosing, would want to go. Don't think he will, though. Vestergaard at Southampton's another um, viable option. That might happen, but, you know, that's another story. So I think it's scrambling around looking for a centre-half, which is less than ideal. But, you know, I think Daniel Amati proved yesterday he can step in. I think this year we may see the decline of the one and only Jamie Vardy. I think he sort of, last season in the second half in particular, sort of waded off a bit, but then they've got Pats and Dacker, who I think has all the hallmarks to replace him and create his own legacy at Leicester. He's taken to it very well. We've got Samari. I think what we have for the first time is a bit of genuine depth. I think Ryan Bertrand's a real little coupon, a three. 
he's really impressed in the two games that I've seen him play so far this season. Samare is a sort of freak of nature. He, he played in the title winning squad last season. He's unbelievable. Got sort of that great sort of strength, but elegance at the same time when he plays. So I think there's a lot of excitement around Leicester. Uh, still, ideally, I think Rodgers would want a right winger as well. I think that's going to be put on hold for this centre-half, which is more important. Uh, I think it's going to be a case of they're very much going to be battling for top four again, but I don't think they'll make the top four. I think they might even put one eye towards Europe a little bit more because it was a bit disappointing last season. But I think they'll be well and up there yet again. I think with a bit more depth as well this time round, it might be the year that they finally close it. But I think I'm, I think they're just going to fall short again, probably finishing them around fifth again. Okay, very good, uh, Harry. Liverpool, we'll put you. I'm going to put you here now because you know we, we've given you quite a few teams towards the other end. I felt that it was only fair, really, to even it out a little bit and give you a chance to talk about one of the bigger boys. Um, of course, that's no disrespect to anyone that you have just discussed, but yeah, I mean, Liverpool's an interesting one, isn't it? Because they signed Canate towards the start of the summer, and everyone's going, Well, towards the start of the window, and everyone thinks, Oh, that's a really good signing. I mean, injury record aside, that is a little bit of a concern, but very, very good centre back. They've struggled with centre back, with the ironically, with injuries to centre backs last season, but they made an early statement, and then they lost Wijnaldum, and they haven't replaced Wijnaldum, and that seems like a big mistake if they don't do that and there's a general sense now of maybe treading water at Anfield particularly with quite a few Liverpool fans that you see on social media is there a danger do you think that they might regret another summer of underinvestment? I think they will regret it but you have to consider that half of their squad was out injured last season they still finished third that's that's the funny thing with Liverpool because you would expect them now if Van Dijk's going to be you you hope for their sake back for them all season. Jota's gonna be playing for the full season. Salah, Mane, they've still got they've still got one of the best squads in the league, but I don't think they'll finish higher than they did last season. And that is just because the three sides, Manchester United, Chelsea and Man City, have invested properly and I think are light years ahead of them all now. So Liverpool's it pool's a difficult one. Genie Wijnaldum, I you know, I'll sing from the, the highest mountain about Wijnaldum. I think he's an excellent player. You, you'll struggle to find a player like him, a proper box-to-box midfielder that can score goals. I think they'll regret that big style this season, but you've got to give Liverpool credit. They've tied down the likes of Fabinho and Trent Alexander-Arnold to big contracts. That can only be seen as a positive. So, it's the difficult one, Liverpool. I'd like to know what you guys think about them because I think they'll finish top four. But I, I don't think they'll get anywhere near... The title. This I feel like it's. I feel like you're right. I feel like there's the rumors between a rock and a hard place. Maybe not the right turn of phrase, but they are quite a way ahead of no disrespect. I think Leicester and some of the people underneath uh, them in the table at the moment, Arsenal, Spurs, because yeah, as you yeah. say, the injured players are coming back. But then you've just said it, and I'm going to talk about that in a bit more detail with Brad in a second. That Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea and Chelsea, sorry, have all invested really, really well. They've all put some serious money forward and Liverpool look like they're going to be stuck between getting a fairly comfortable top four position. Maybe Leicester could challenge that, I don't know. But then maybe not being quite good enough to, to push for the for the title again, I think. Brad, Manchester clubs, Manchester City, Manchester United, no better person to go to than yourself. Let's give us the lowdown. 
Well, I think it's, uh, I'll start off with the red side of Manchester. Uh, I briefly touched on City earlier, so I'll start off with United. Uh, I do think it is time now with the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been backed this season, this uh, transfer market to put a real fight against Man City and Chelsea. And I I personally don't think it's possible for them to do that, but I think he will. the board will feel that he has to now challenge for a title this season. Uh, and he cannot end this. He cannot end this season, this campaign without a trophy. I think. I think he'll be gone. Uh, what did you think does, of his three-year uh, contract, Brad? I, I think. I think. I think that's perfect. Uh, exactly the right amount of time uh, he he deserves. You got to remember where this club was when he took over. He took. He took over. Uh, in the in the middle of a season when um, Manchester United were getting you know getting it handed to them by Liverpool when Jose Mourinho was sacked um, and the way he's kind of it's not really about the performances it's about the way he's re you know almost redesigned the club to the days of Sir Alex Ferguson you know not handing players unbelievable contracts just because of their name but because of the way they play and the because of the performances and he's you know we've we've seen it now with Rafael Varane joining Manchester United he, he said he wants a new challenge he's not he's not come for a quick quick payday uh where, whereas many players did you know Schweinsteiger is probably one of the perfect examples of that when United were handing out ridiculous contracts uh, under Van Hal and Jose Mourinho, so I think it's a bit, a bit different, other than just performances. Probably going to Solskjaer this year. You know, he has he has changed the the whole way the the club is run, uh, and that's why I think the three year contract is perfect for him uh, and and the club because he's got a minimum this season to win a trophy. I think if he wins a trophy, he'll he'll stay at the club regardless of where he finishes. Uh, in the top four, it's got to be in that top four. It's got to be in there. But if he does get a trophy, I think he will. He will stick around, and then he'll probably be backed again next summer with a striker. And whether that be er- Erling Haaland or someone else, this would, uh, yeah. along those lines, that's who it'll be. Mm. Bra, Harry, you've got your hand up. Brad, what would you consider as success for Manchester United this season? That's a good question. I think I think uh, success means silverware. So I think uh, top four and an FA Cup is successful for other Solskjaer this year, uh, which is, which also isn't isn't overachieving. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's uh, uh, um, uh, too much to ask for. I don't think United fans would 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 say that is an exceptional season, but I think it's successful to, to win a trophy. And and because because trophies lead to more trophies, it, it leads to confidence within the squad. You've got to remember, some of these players have never won anything. Um, and the only, I was talk, actually talking about this the other day, the only player to have won a Champions League in this squad is one matter. That's the only player in Manchester United's entire squad that's that's won a Champions League. So I think that's quite staggering. And the other the other two that are very that have got many trophies are Edison Cavani and David de Gea. So bringing in Rafael Varane is huge for that trophy winning mindset because he's won four Champions Leagues. He's won a World Cup. He knows how to win, which I think is so important. And you know, going back to your success question, Harry, I think I think a trophy and top four will be successful this season. That's really well put, actually. Obviously, you expect that from you, Brad. You do um, 
However, Manchester United wonderfully well for Varvel, but you also actually have been looking covering Manchester City, of course, because of course they are the less noisy neighbours now, more the arguably the 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 dominant force in Manchester for quite a while. And I guess, well, what what defines success for Manchester City now if they sign two hundred and fifty million pounds worth of talent with two players? I mean, that's quite a it's quite a extravagant money splurge. And what I mean. With that splurge, you can't expect anything less than a Premier League title on top of other trophies and arguably then the Champions League alongside that as well. I think with the way that they've spent money this season and continued to spend money, um, they've got to retain the title. Uh, And I think for it to be a a truly successful campaign and uh, you know something that, that backs up why they've spent so much money, I think they've got to do the double, the real double the Champions League and the Premier League. I think that's real success for Manchester City this year. And that should be the expectations for this sort of squad. You know, especially if they bring Harry Kane in, I think many, many people will be expecting at minimum the real double. You know, people talk about the quadruple, but realistically that that's very, very difficult to, to achieve. And I, I think, you know, the closest... That, that anyone has come is Manchester United's 1999 season, you know, and that that was a, no one's even done the the real treble. No one's done that except for them. Um, so you know this quadruple talk, I, I believe, is just is unachievable unless they were to potentially get Harry Kane and Lionel Messi. But like we said, Messi's not happening. So I think I think this season it's got to be looking at retaining the Premier League and finally getting over that hurdle of the Champions League because that's ultimately where Pep Guardiola is going to be judged as a coach as well you know he's done the Premier League he's done the FA Cup he's done the Carabao Cup uh, and but but now it's time for the for the big boy yeah no I can't put that any better really and, and there's not really much more to add with Manchester City other than the obvious as to what we already know they've spent quite a lot of money more money than they've spent for a very long time the record transfer before this was 62 million pounds for Rodri so it's quite a ridiculous jump I suppose no I'm not going to say ridiculous jump because they're you know they they do claim to have financed it well because they sold over sixty million pounds worth in their in their youth setup alone, and they claim that they will be selling some first team players as well to fund these transactions. Now, Harry, very exciting. We get to talk about Steve Bruce and Newcastle. Brucinio. Um, if he was called Stevio Brucinio, would we be calling him a managerial genius, or am I just being a little bit silly right now? <laughs> I would say you've been a bit silly. Right. Look, we've had some great news while the podcast has been recorded. Joel Willock on his way back, it seems, for a, a fee over £20 million, which is massive for Newcastle. Number one target for Steve Bruce. He was talking about this in the press conference yesterday. So huge to get that over the line. And I think that pretty much cements Premier League survival for Newcastle this season. That's going to sound great when we get relegated. But I just think that Newcastle, they have a good side. I think everything... Everything with Newcastle is always a massive overreaction, I find, because the club have declined so much over the years. Every slightest little thing is just blown out of proportion. They've stripped it back. They've got a very, very good side. St. Maximin, everyone knows how how good he is. He's arguably the best player in the bottom half. Johnny knows firsthand that that game oh. took more last season. I'll not remind him. <laughs> it was the one that uh, St. James's as well, wasn't it? He was absolutely yeah. mesmeric. I, you know, I, I would say, just, and I don't even think it's that controversial I think he's the best one versus one player in the division I would agree as well I just think he's a bit of an uncut diamond he's not got that end product if he had that end product he wouldn't Mm. be playing for Newcastle United Mm. that's the bottom line 
He set a target for himself uh, to get into the French squad for the mm. World Cup, which, to be honest, if he's playing for Newcastle, he's probably not going to get that. But it's very clear that his aspirations are beyond the club. I think we're very lucky to get him for another season. I do think he'll be away next summer. And he's essentially putting himself in the shop window, which for me as a fan of Newcastle, I, I kind of miss the, I say the good times of being pipped to the post by Man United in 96. But this is the best it gets having mm-hmm. a player of this quality. We've not had this since Hatton Ben Arthur. Mm. He's an incredible talent. And Andy Carroll as well. Only second well, spell. Yeah. Well, the second spell didn't go as, as <laughs> great as did, but we've got a proper goal scorer up front now in Callum Wilson. Mm. Now took on the, the, the so-called famous number nine shirt. Who, you know, he's, he's, he's a great player. He's probably one of the best strikers in the bottom half, you would say. I would, I would put Danny Ings on a, on a similar level to him. So for Newcastle... You know, they're limited in what they can do with the manager they have, unfortunately. Oh. But better with the devil, you know, I would say, because if you were to, say, bring in a more expansive and attacking manager, it might not work and they might go down. So I think it's going to be more mid-table mediocrity for Newcastle mm. and a lot of twists and turns and a lot of unrest mm. on the way, which always comes with the club. Was that code for give Bruce another contract? Definitely not. Right, OK. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. OK, so uh, we're on to actually Norwich City. So we can pass you over to a different voice. Uh, Luke, again, uh, with a little snippet um, for the pr- a prediction and preview of, of Norwich's chances this season in the Premier League. Norwich, obviously, a bit of a yo-yo side over the last few years. Um, they went up under Daniel Farker and then went back down and now they've come back up. I know Norwich currently, in terms of signings, are linked with Adam Armstrong. The 24-year-old is valued apparently at 20 million, but they're also trying to battle um, Southampton, Crystal Palace and Watford, amongst others. Todd Cantwell is very much tipped to leave uh, Carroll Road and join Aston Villa because Grealish has actually moved to Man City. So we'll see um, if that goes the way that everyone expects it to. Um, the first game they have is couldn't be tougher. <laughs> Liverpool at Carrow Road, um, and I think Liverpool are getting back to full strength, so it'd be very interesting to see how they get on. It's the late kickoff on the opening day, Saturday the fourteenth of August. They then play Manchester City and Leicester City, and the following two. So that all of these first three fixtures are going to be a baptism of fire, I think, for for Norwich if they get anything out of those three games. Um, despite two of them being at home, I think it's going to be very impressive indeed from Norwich. So um, I'm sure Norwich fans are realistic enough to think that they may not uh, have a, a, a point on the board for a little while. Thanks to Luke again for offering his thoughts. Now, Southampton, Callum, we actually had a discussion about this. Um, before, not neither of us optimistic about Southampton's chances. In fact, both of us have put Southampton in 20th position on our 1-20s to 20s, um, or in, in our proverbial 1-20s. So I think for me, losing Bertrand was big because Bertrand's a fantastic left-back who'd done a wonderful job for them for many years. But then to lose Danny Ings is like pulling the plug from the bath. Um, and it, 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 it's really worrying for them now. And not having a, a goalkeeper that I don't think is particularly convincing, either Forster or McCarthy. You might think differently given Forster's links to Celtic. But generally, I just look at that squad and I just think there's not enough goals. Defensively, he's not good enough either. And they also had a bit of a spiral under Hasenhutl last year because results took a big downturn in that second half of the season. So it's just not looking good, is it? I think they're in real, real big trouble. I think Hasenhutl, to be 
it's been dealt a real cruel hand. You know, they've had two back-to-back 9 nils defeats in consecutive season, so they're going to be third-time unlucky and have another 9 nil. Who knows? But you, know, you said Bertrand, you know, he's their captain. And, you know, whilst he's not the most glamorous of footballers, he's a leader. So they've mm. lost the big leader. And then they've just lost the guaranteed goal. Goal scoring Danny Ings with no real sign of a plan of attack to get someone else. I know they've been linked with Adam Armstrong, but other clubs are also interested in him. So they have to fend off the interest from other clubs and beat them to it, you know. And then even now today, there's talks of Vestergaard potentially going to Leicester. Um, a lot of interest in him. If they lose him as well, you know, he's a real presence at the back. I just I just don't know what they can do. You know, like, War Prowse is a great player, but he's not the sort of person that you can rely on to do it all by himself. You know, there's only so many corners you can have in a game. You know, he can't score every single free kick. You can try. Yeah, you can try. I mean, mm-hmm. I just... You know, you said the goalkeepers, they're both quite underwhelming. Both of them have, they, they chop and change them each time. Mm. The car, they both can't seem to hold down the position. And when they do, they seem to start off all right and then just sort of throw a howl for the next three games. There's there's no real identity about them. And I think that's hard on Hasenhutl because I think he's actually quite a good manager. Mm. Um, you know, the times we've seen them bounce back from those 9 0 defeats, he's, he's brought them back quite well. But this time, I just, can't see. I think the Danny Ings one took everyone by such surprise. And you know, whilst I said thirty million for a player out of contract next summer is good business for them, it might well be when it's a player as crucial as Danny Ings is to you. Is it really worth it without already having brought someone in? I just, I just can't see him staying up. I think they've been sort of lingering around this for a while. They never sort of. Um, kicked on during that spell under Koeman did they after that mm. Koeman and Pochettino it sort of, sort of unravelled a bit from there and I, I think they started well in seasons and then fall away but I just mm. can't see staying up this season I, th- I think they're, they're in a lot of trouble to be honest no, for, for me I think it's more under investment they, they are a selling club they do sell players but then they usually replace those players that they sell with adequate replacements and you can only do that for so long, really, unless you've got... Well, no, to be fair, you know, many clubs do it quite successfully across Europe, but it just seems like that accuracy in terms of getting those replacements to replace the players that have gone, it's just not been as good for a while now. And Ralph hassan Hutel's really been... He's going to be entering the season with a hand tied behind his back, and that's just not where he wants to be, really, uh, particularly in a competitive... Well, at Premier League, this is as competitive as ever. Now, Brad, Tottenham, they are a big club, big six club in name, although not a big six club in definition in terms of where they finished last season, which they didn't do, obviously, in the uh, Europa Conference League, which is something I'm sure many of their fans are very looking forward to, I say, slightly sarcastically, but it's, you know, it's still a good competition for many other clubs other than maybe Spurs. But under Nuno Espirito Santo, I think he's a, you know, really respect. I really like Nuno as a coach. I think he seems like a really nice guy. I just can't help but think he's going to be the fall guy in this season where there's so much uncertainty going on. And it's to me, even, even with um, the the new sporting director at Tottenham, and even with the links and the signing, Christian Romero, fantastic signing, Gil, fantastic signing as well. I still can't help but think this is going to be a bit of a damp squib season for Spurs with all the Harry Kane stuff going on. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, the sooner 
they fix this hurricane situation, the better for not only Nuno but the entire club. If 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 City are going to put in over a hundred million pounds, Daniel Levy should be should be snapping that up. You know, Harry Kane is 28, 29, I think. Okay. Um, but. 28 you know mm-hmm. you know how many how many more seasons are you going to get where you can get 100 and 100 plus million for him because of his age you know if you know if he you know another year might be knocking off 20 million even if he puts up similar numbers because just because of the age um so i, th- I think personally he should be allowed to leave i think with the new sporting director i think they'll handle uh, a large amount of cash a lot better than they did with the gareth bale money um, and I also think that if Harry Kane was to leave, I think that would just almost help Nuno in a way because he knows what he's getting. He knows how he can start planning for the rest of the season without Harry Kane. I'm sure he's already starting to think about the, the prospect of not having him. Uh, but I do I do think there's that the, the Tottenham need to, especially Daniel Levy, need to remain calm over Nuno's situation, you know, if this if this if this saga continues to linger over him and the performances dip, I don't think they should be calling for his head. Um, I think they've got to, in a, in a similar way to Solskjaer and Man United, they need to give him time. Uh, I think they've got to give him another transfer window, not just January. I think next summer they've got to give him a big transfer window as well to get this Tottenham sides back to back to competing, not only in the Premier League but the Champions League, um, because it wasn't too long ago they were in, they found themselves in a final. Yeah, I mean, yeah, did, you know, as as I said with the sporting director Fabio Paratici, I think he is the signing of the summer for them because in terms of a long term structure, we're already seeing it now with signings that they are making that are of a high standard, a high calibre, we're all, you know, touting them, the players that are coming in, the players they're linked with uh, as as potentially excellent deals. Um, and they do need that, but they need that over a sustained period because they need a complete overhaul. Paratici will help them do that. He is a genius at his work, but as you say, it's not going to be one short-term fix. This is a long-term project. It's a long-term transition. And yeah, there could be a little bit of short-term pain with all the with all the Harry Kane stuff going on at present. Okay, so last of Luke's wonderful snippets, and this one is on Watford. And Watford are the other club that have gone up into the Premier League. Um, interested with Watford, their ownership and constant changes of manager is kind of seen from the outside as, as something that's kind of a little bit crazy and, and far too um, haphazard for a lot of clubs, but they, they've done... Um, they've done well to get back up under a previously unknown manager. Um, signed some very good, very good players for that league, um, and then obviously when they start their season, they'll start with Aston Villa, and then Brighton, and then Tottenham at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as the third fixture. So they're playing, playing Aston Villa. Uh, that obviously be a tough game, but they'll see Brighton as somewhere they can go and try and dig a result out. I'm sure Tottenham Hotspur a little bit more difficult for them I'm sure um, they have signed uh, they're closing in apparently and signing on um, Jurak Kucha um, 34 year old from Parma uh, which I think has gone through now um, there's been a couple youngsters that have kind of left on loan um, it should be interesting again to see how all three of these do um, Cisco Munoz was kind of a, a manager that nobody had really heard of um, 
if you just kind of follow the Premier League, he wasn't kind of big in that in that circle. But he's proved to a lot of people that um, the ownership structure of Watford and the way that they appoint head coaches um, has actually got a lot of results for them. Okay, thanks, Luke, for the final of those snippets on the promoted clubs. West Ham, Harry, that is. Well, West Ham had a phenomenal season last year, didn't they? You just, I just can't see them doing it again because they're going to be competing on two fronts this time. Yeah, I've got them bottom half again uh, this season. They had a fantastic campaign, took everybody by surprise. That Their pre-season last year was probably the, the most depressing I've ever seen from a football club. I think they got thumped by Bournemouth at home. Everyone had them tipped to get relegated, then they just pulled out a fantastic season. But competing... In Europe, with a small squad, it's a recipe for disaster, especially if they progress far. I've seen it with Newcastle back in 2012, where they finished fifth, came so close to getting Champions League football, got to a quarter-final of a European tournament, and then finished 16th in the following season. I think they'll follow that again. doesn't look like Jesse Lingard is going to be going back to West Ham either. That's a big loss for them, because he was influential for them for them last season. Obviously, Syed Ben Rama, I'm expecting he's going to have a better campaign. Jared Bowen is, is another top draw player. Mikel Antonio will score them goals, but I just think it's going to be too many games for them and not going to be able to cope, unfortunately. Mm, yeah, pretty much my thoughts as well. I'm glad you mentioned Lingard. I think that's the one glaring omission from this season starting that. I mean, he gave them that impetus in the second half of the season to really kick on. And arguably, they could have made that push for the top four if they had had Declan Rice and everyone fit in those final months and Antonio had a few injury niggles as well. And eventually, you know, I suppose it just... The, the the injuries, the, the lack of fitness and so on did catch up with them right at the very end. And that dream of Champions League football was just, like you say, with Newcastle, just not quite close enough for them. But yeah, I would expect a bit of... But if they have a good European run, then I'm sure they wouldn't mind suffering a little bit in the league as a result of that European run. Okay, Callum, Wolves, final of the 20. They are... Well, I don't know with Wolves, to be fair. I really don't know. Currently in my, I think I've got them 15th or 16th, actually, in my mind, in my prediction thing. Again, these should go out on, on, on the Bible Twitter at some point over the week. I don't know, because obviously Lager coming in promises progressive football, promises a very different style to the style under Nuno Espirito Santo. And such, tra- such, such big transitions can take time to come into play, can't they? And there are, for example, Wolves predominantly played with three at the back under Nuno. It might be back to a back four. It looks like it's a back four according to the preseason lineups. Jimenez coming back after a long, lengthy injury. There's a lot of what ifs, isn't there, at the moment? And it could either could go really well or it could not go really well. Yeah, you're right. It's a real strange one. I mean, I've I've had a fair bit of sort of like insight Wolves. I have a lot of friends that are Wolves fans. I, you know, I've I've, I've been to uni near there so I sort of know a little bit it's, it's a really strange time for them because you know I think it got to the point where whilst Nuno Espirito Santo is very well respected amongst Wolves fans I think that cycle had come to an end the football had become a bit stale they sort of I think teams had just figured them out to be honest and uh, you know Bruno Lage uh, during his time at Benfica you know he won the league and they scored a host of goals um there um but, you know, they can't rely on Raul Jimenez. You know, I know he's come back from his injuries playing football, but, you know, it's I think it's too big of a burden to place on someone who came back from an injury as severe as that. 
They've got Francisco Trincao on loan from Barca. Um, he could be, you know, he's one of those unknown quantities. He was quite highly rated. I mean, you have a bit of pedigree about you if you signed by Barcelona. Um, but I think there's just too many holes over the pitch. I think they're going to miss Pedro Neto. He's still recovering from injury, obviously. He was vital to them and looked like their only real threat going forward last season. Um, I think they're short of a centre-half, at least. They brought in that young lad, Mascara, but is he a definite starter straight away or is he one for the future? Time will tell. You know, they lost Rui Patricio, which I think is a really underrated thing. You know, they brought in a half-decent goalkeeper, but I think Rui Patricio was very underrated. Um I think there's there's several holes in Ethan. They've got quite an aging squad as well. Still got Matinho who plays quite a lot of football. He's aging now. I think they need. I think they still need three or four uh, players in at least. But it's such an unknown thing because, like you say, it's such a drastic style of play. If Wolves are going gun ho every game, it might catch teams by surprise, or teams might just pick them off because last year defensively they weren't strong at all. In scoring mm. the goals last year, and they conceded far too many. So, um, not good. It's a strange one. I hope for Raul Jimenez's sake, he has a really good season because mm. it's the league deserves. But I just think it's too unfair to place such a big burden on a player. You know, he's adored by Wolves fans, but I, I it's a real strange one. I've got them to finish just banging mid tenth stuff an yeah. average season. Yeah. But like you said, they could quite easily slide down the table. Yeah, I think so. It's a difficult one to really put your, put your cap on, really, I suppose. And that sort of rounds off the 20. So, again, if you would be inclined to look at our predictions of 1 to 20, uh, we'll bore you with going through them now because if we do that, then it will take up about 28 minutes, which we probably nearly the size of half of the podcast. But please do look at the Bubble Twitter where we will have our wonderful graphics team putting up our predictions from 1 to 20 and they can be scrutinised to whatever extent you may wish to do so. We will have a little discussion, I suppose, uh, on the on the all things foreign affairs. I just want to get all your thoughts really generally on the state of the, of the finances in football. I know I touched it right at the start. We touched on it right at the start, but Serie A is in an implosion at the moment, particularly into Milan, who have being forced to sell. I suppose this is why Antonio Conte left. Hakimi going to PSG, Lukaku coming to Chelsea, and potentially Lautaro Martinez as well coming to the Premier League. We see Juventus struggling to sign players. We see a lot of, as I say, uh, Italian clubs really struggling with the pandemic and with the effect it's had on football. Um, how does it make you feel? And there's a lot of counter arguments, but how does it make you feel that the Premier League at the moment are so dominant financially compared to their European counterparts. We'll start with you, Brad. How does it make me feel? Mm. I mean, being in England and living Mm. in England and watching Mm. the Premier League week in, week out, Mm. um, I think it being so dominant is a great thing for English football. But could you see that the argument on the other side as to why other clubs were so eager, maybe. I mean, there's two ways of looking at this. The monopoly and the dominance of finances within English football is quite striking. But then at the same time, you could argue that the the way clubs, i.e. Barcelona, have managed their finances suggests that, you know, that they themselves are actually to blame when it comes to the Super League argument. Um, do you think there was, do you think the money spent in this summer shows there was any validation for the Super League or do you think that's a load of kerfuffle? Well, I, I think that's uh, such a 
hard question to bring a bring a definitive answer to. Um, and I think you know the whole Barcelona situation, the Inter Milan situation, shouldn't really be happening to these big clubs with such history behind them. You know, it's such a difficult situation for them to get out of. Uh, but it's also very difficult. You've got to remember, it's a very difficult situation for them to get themselves into. Mm-hmm. You know, they got themselves into this ginormous mess, and they're, they're now they're now relying on themselves to 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 ask players to take large pay cuts and you know no one should work for free essentially no one no one should have to work for free just because they've put the ball in the back of the net a couple of times um but you know that that's one of the situations that um these clubs are finding themselves in and it's you know that i don't think i think the people who say that, that they don't feel any sympathy for Messi. He's on millions and millions. You know, you've got to feel a little bit of sympathy for him because he's not had the final, you know, the farewell, the final game that he deserves, you know, for his career. Um, but that ultimately is because of how Barcelona are run and that, mm. that is up to them. Uh, and similar, similar situations to Romelu Lukaku into Milan now. You know, he, you know, at the start of the, the transfer window is looking very likely that he was going to stay. He wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. He wanted to work with their new manager. Um, that he, and then if it was possible, if he was, if they could have given him a similar amount of money that he was already on on his contract, he, he would have stayed because he sees a project there at Inter Milan. Um, but but that's something that's not going to happen. And now you are, like you said, you are seeing Premier League clubs be so dominant because they've got this, they've got this, um, they've got this ex- excess money ready for themselves to splash out. And mm. you know, we're seeing it with Manchester City and Chelsea, particularly. Harry, does it make you feel in any way uncomfortable, or am I again? Should should we embrace the extravagant nature of transfer fees and and, and all that comes with it? Well, like Brad said, I'm. I live in England. I watch the Premier League regularly. I don't really watch Serie A or La Liga. So I'm all for the Premier League being the best league in the world. If that means bringing in the best players for those transfer fees, then, then so be it. I think the TV money rights thing has been a massive issue, especially in Italy and France. They've mm. had a lot of issues, I think, with being sport and a few, I think it's the zone as well, where they've pulled out and lost money. It mm. means the Premier League have essentially been able to monopolise the best players, I mean, I was just having a look through an article here about Italian football and the amount of stars they have lost, it really is staggering. The likes mm-hmm. of Donnarumma, Hakimi, Lukaku, all, you know, moving away. It's incredible, but like, like I said, I'm, I'm really bothered as selfish as it does sound. I'm, I'm an Englishman, I watch the Premier League. Why should I feel sympathetic towards the Serie A? Although, it's a fair point, don't get me wrong, you know, I, I'm sort of umming and ahhing, jumping between both fields, but it's an argument, though, Callum, that when you do look at this and we say, well, you know, we need to spend this to get the best talent. We need to spend that to get the best talent. We need to get them on excessive wages to get the best talent. That's exactly why, as, as, as just to bring it all back, we had the threat of the European Super League in the first place because, essentially, money became too powerful in, in football. Yeah, I think money is like the big factor these days, isn't it? And I think what we forget as well, it's not just Serie A, it's leagues all over. I mean, yeah. we sort of... Um, cast Liga to the side mainly because of the financial power that PSG have but we have to remember that mm. they won the title last year that half their squad's gone they lost their manager to a mid-table side in France they lost they're losing top players to peanuts who are going to different clubs um, it's not just a one place problem it's a it's a probably a worldwide issue I think a lot of that's to do with Covid mm. um, 
you know, and TV deals in itself, you know, it's sort of you have to look at Spain, for example, the way the money's generated across the league. It's the case of the big three get the lion's share of the money and the rest of them get the little tricklings at the bottom, mm. depending on how much play. Um, yeah, I, you can see why so many clubs did gun for the Super League because, quite frankly, they can't make the money that they used to, which I, I think COVID plays a big impact in that role. You know, I think there's, there's so much, there's so much disarray financially, isn't there, all across the continent. Mm-hmm. Harry, point? I understand the whole argument about the Super League and you can see why those member clubs wanted to go for it. But do you not think a lot of it was down to the fear of competition from clubs on the rise, the likes of Leicester, the likes yeah. of Aston Villa, there's clubs around the world that are that are gunning to try and break the mould of the monopoly here, which is the big six and how mm. difficult it is. And with a Super League, it would essentially nullify that. It would never happen. So uh, that, that's my that's my point, really. Mm. Yeah. 100%. I, I completely agree in that aspect. I, I think maybe that's more the English clubs, maybe that was more their argument for it, whether they would actually say that's the case is another thing. I think maybe across the European board, you know, sort of realistically, no one really challenges Barcelona or Atletico on a genuine scale. Mm. Italy, there's a little bit of competition, but again, all those clubs that were in the Super League were the main clubs you would back to challenge for the title mm. each year. In Italy. Um, I think, you know, it depending on where you are, I think from a Premier League perspective, those clubs were genuinely scared of the threat of other teams because mm. I think those teams in the Premier League, whilst they've not got the same financial muscle in comparison to a lot of teams in Europe, most teams in, Prem- in the Premier League blow them out of the water in terms of spending, even sort of, you know, you look at money, sort of Aston Villa are spending. I know they've just got a load of money for Jack Grealish, but their owners are very rich. They can throw about money if they want for other club. I think each club's had different reasons, but I think from a European perspe- perspective, it was more for the money as per hmm. Barcelona. And to be fair, I don't think either. Uh, I don't think saying that there was some legitimacy behind this Super League plan was necessarily saying that the Super League was a good idea. Uh, like you said, I think it was very flawed, ruined competition. You know, it was a closed market. It was very anti anti sport, really, in many ways. And what we see in in uh, particularly in European sport and, and in in British sport. But at the same time, we suppose we have to look at it and understand why it did come about and the possibilities of uh, it coming about again. And I just think you know we do have to look at ourselves, look at the money that's being spent, and think actually. Maybe there is a bit of an issue here somewhere, but but of course that's why we had it. I completely agree with you guys. As well, in terms of financial mismanagement of big clubs elsewhere, we've talked about Barcelona. I also agree that if we can spend that money to bring the best talent to England, then of course we are living in England. We are watching the Premier League. Then we would like to see that if possible. Fantastic. Okay, that's the end of the podcast. So please be sure to give us a well you've obviously given us a listen but give us a subscribe give us a review or a star rating on any platform that you would like to do as long as it's positive of course don't like negative ones but if you can put a nice review that would be really really much appreciated really helps us with everything that we do on the bubble uk football podcast and again it would be really appreciative if appreciative if you could do that for us thanks for listening thanks to brad thanks to harry thanks to callum 
and we'll be back next week. This will be released on a Monday morning UK time and it will be a regular feature that we hope to bring the wonderful editors of Marvel together on. And we hope to provide some wonderful entertainment for you all to listen to on a weekly basis. Take care, stay safe, and thank you for listening.